Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. And you are with me for another Sunday morning or whenever it is you're listening to me. We appreciate any time that you give to us in listening to these important topics with regards to fatherhood, family, marriage, relationships, children, however you want to frame it. Uh, We try to bring you the best in that information um, and always have an eye towards talking about fathers, right? Because this is what this podcast is about. This is about talking about fathers and making sure that we are inclusive in the paradigm of family. If you're working with families and you're not working with fathers, let me tell you something, you are not working with families. And be clear about that. It's all right for you to do other things. It's all right for you to work primarily with children. It's all right for you to work primarily with moms. That's cool. But when you're using the word family, if you're not working with fathers, then you're not working with families. My guest this morning comes highly recommended. I've heard about this brother um, not only in spaces of some of my good friends, but also some of my people who have heard him speak, heard him passionately talk about not only his life, but talk about his work. But it's Mr. Charmaine Harris, and he's a national speaker, author, and trainer in areas of fatherhood and prison reentry. After serving time in prison, Charmaine re-entered society with a plan and a passion and a purpose. Despite the challenges of a felony conviction, Charmaine worked hard to overcome the barriers to a successful entry into society. The birth of his first child in 2014 gave him a deeper reason to achieve success after prison. And I don't usually read a lot of people's bio, but I want to slow down. And there's like three other paragraphs that I want to read because in these paragraphs in your bio, Charmaine, it tells a story. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So in 2015, Charmaine attended a heavily promoted fatherhood event in which he was the only father to show. Seeing an opportunity, he volunteered to host the fatherhood workshop himself. His event was so successful, he eventually landed a full-time job as a father involvement coordinator for WIC, Women's Infants and Children. In the first year, he successfully recruited and completed over 100 fathers in his curriculums and in his work. During this time at WIC, Charmaine would travel the country to other WIC and family service organizations to inspire them to focus on fatherhood. His success with the WIC Fathers Program um, has launched, or it was a launching pad um, to his current success as a speaker and a trainer. In 2020, um, Charmaine graduated with degrees in business management and marketing at Cart- Cartage, right? Am I saying that right? Carthage. Carthage. Carthage College. In 2021, he completed his master's in business design and innovation at Carthage College. His turnaround story has led to many awards, including the NAACP Positive Impact and the 20 Under 40 Award. So there's other pieces of his bio that's going to be on the site, but I want to skip to one because it's also what I believe is part of his soul 
important journey. And in 2022, Charmaine had all of his legal rights restored after receiving a full pardon from Governor Tony Evers in Wisconsin. Um, he is now on a mission to help hundreds of justice-impacted people to be granted a pardon. Charmaine, you're an incredible brother, man. Let's let me just let's start there. You are appreciate you, man. Appreciate you. Um, and I'm glad that at some point in you in your life, you realize that your circumstance wasn't your prison. Mm. That you that you realize that you are more than your current situation and you are a shining example for people around the country but more specifically for black men and that is not to get locked up in what people call you it only matters what you call yourself and how you see yourself good morning man how you doing talk to me a little bit about how you feeling this morning and what's going on in your world Oh man, I'm good. I'm good. First of all, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I was excited when I got the call that I'll be on this wonderful podcast. So first of all, I appreciate that. Uh, currently, man, I'm feeling good. A little gloomy here in Wisconsin. Can't seem to get no sunny weather, but uh, we're working on that. And uh, currently, actually, my four-year-old is um, got his tonsils removed yesterday. Mm. So uh, I was running back and forth from Kenosha to Milwaukee. Um, helping him out and then helping my wife out, you know, getting her food and had to go get her, uh, her overnight bag because we didn't think we were going to be staying the night. But they told us that he had to take one night. So right after I uh, get done with this, I'll be heading back up to Milwaukee to pick up my wife and my young son and mm -hmm. start that process of staying home with him for a week so we can heal properly. Okay. So do me this favor. Walk me through your own personal perspective of all the things that I just talked about in your bio. Take us to take us through a journey um, through um, wherever you want to start to wherever you want right. to finish. Because I'm going to sit back and we're just going to listen and then we're going to chat and conversate after. Yeah. But just take us through, take us on a journey. Okay, yeah. So, um, 2013, I was released from prison. Um, and I always say I was fortunate not to have biological children while I was inside. I did have a stepdaughter who's, who's still my stepdaughter now. Um, my daughter, but I just say step because I know there might be a lot of stepfathers listening to this podcast. Uh, so I got out and, you know, I had a renewed mindset. I went through a program inside called Boot Camp that kind of really shaped my mind and helped me, like, think about my cognitive behavior and my mental health and all of that stuff. So I got out and within a month, you know, my, my girlfriend and my wife now, I was um, pregnant. So we was, we was obviously excited to see each other. Right. And, um, had my son in 2014. And, uh, when he was about 10 months old, I walked into the WIC office and while I was sitting in the WIC office in the lobby, a lady came out and brought me to the back. We did our appointment. She did his weight, height, iron, did all that stuff that they do at the WIC office. And I was just there to receive services. And so while we was talking, um, she mentioned the fatherhood group they was trying to um, hold. And so they were like doing this work to like see if there was a need for fatherhood programming. So she gave me this flyer, told me the event was about to happen. Um, I come out to the event while there, we waiting about 20 minutes. There were some guys there that was supposed to be facilitating the conversation. 
And after about 20 minutes, we realized I'm the only guy that showed up. And so then um, the supervisor walked in and I could kind of sense the disappointment in her face. And I don't know, something in me just said, man, you know, I can help out in this situation. At the time I was down from work, I was getting surgery on my shoulder. So I was just looking to do something to stay active. And so I did that. And after getting told so many no, so many times, getting told no so many times, uh, I, I say I got my first yes. And it was a volunteer opportunity. So like you read in the bio, I hosted an event. But before that, I, I spread the word on my social media and posted flyers all around town. I was just super excited about being a father. And I just wanted to communicate that to other fathers. And so on the day of my event, we had over 25 fathers at the campaign. And guess what, Kenneth? These were some of the same fathers that I used to run, run in the streets with. Um, some of the same guys I used to run the streets with. Only difference was we was all older now. We all had kids. And so I did that. Um, light bulb sparked in the organization's head. Like, man, clearly this guy has influence. Um, there was a long period before I actually came aboard, about six months. But I was persistent and consistent in asking about the opportunity um, to get a job because that's what she told me when I when I finished my first volunteer session. And so um, eventually I got on 10 hours a week, got a grant from the Maternal Childhood Health that really focused on, um, what did you call it? Um, uh, the, the rate in which, oh, infant mortality. It really okay. focused on infant mortality. And then um, I got on full time, word spread about what I was doing. The district attorney reached out to me first and um, after he heard my story, he said, I want to help you and got me taken off parole four years earlier than I was supposed to. That started my time clock for my pardon because you got to be off paper and parole for five years before you can get the pardon. But before that, you know, I got a full ride scholarship to Carthage College, went back, got my master's degree, got all these awards. Um, got all these opportunities. I'm even teaching criminal justice now at the University of Wisconsin Parkside. Um, and how ironic is that? You know, a former mm -hmm. criminal you know, now teaching criminal justice. Mm -hmm. so I say I'm many things. I got a lot of title. I'm a, titles. I'm a community activist. I'm a student. I'm a teacher. I'm a business owner. I run on my fatherhood program. But most importantly, before all of that, is I'm a husband and I'm a father to my children. And a lot of times people are always asking, like, what was it that, like, flipped the switch? What was it that made you change? And I will always say it was the birth of my first son. After he was born, I just told myself, I'll be damned if I have him coming to visit six hours away, going through these bars, hearing all this stuff that goes on when you have a visit. And more importantly, his future. You know, I grew up with my father, but, you know, he really wasn't there until I was about 11 years old, 12 years old. That's when he really started making an impact in my life because he was in prison before. So I wanted to tr change the trajectory of my son's life, and I've been doing that ever since. Man, that's incredible. Um, some of your life touches a little bit of mine with the exception of being incarcerated, I've never been incarcerated, but when you talk about your dad, well, my stepdad, uh, my father, I never knew him. I didn't know him until he was, until I was 23 years old. 
Um, and he died short. We had a little interaction in the time that after I met him. And then he died shortly after I met him. So I never really had a chance to figure it out. Like, how do I bond with this man? What do I, like, yeah. we were at the, the few times that we were together, we didn't even really know what to talk about. We were just stumbling over each other. We was just talking about mm. things that had nothing to do with nothing. Did you see the game last night? You know, sure. man, that's a nice car, blah, blah, blah. We didn't really even small know. Small talk. Yeah, small talk. We didn't know how to get to significant talk and that's something that I always um, regret you know when I think about the little bit of time that I actually had with him that we never had a deep thought conversation but one thing that you said I wanted to walk back on because I think it's going to really like help people think about this because I've often talked about WIC right I've often talked about um, how you name something for a man matters right and it will say to him whether or not it is welcoming and inviting for him, particularly in the service space. What gave you the courage or the um, the motivation to walk past what I believe that obstacle, the naming of WIC, women, infant, and children, which none of those you were, but you still walked in there. Talk to me about that. What was it about your mindset that said, I'm going in here anyway. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. You know, what didn't you hear in there? You know, women, infants, and children. You didn't hear dads. And so uh, just like you said in the beginning of the podcast, you can't claim to be serving families if you exclude the father. And so uh, for me, man, it was just one of those things where my wife couldn't make the appointment. And so I wasn't really even like, it wasn't really even registering to me. I was a young dad, new dad, fresh. I just was like wanting to do my son's appointment. And on top of that appointment, like I was just always there at all the appointments. If I had to take off work or stop doing something, I just wanted to be at the appointment. But I will say when I started working there, that was one of the things that I wanted to um, work on immediately. How do we make this organization more inclusive to fathers? What imagery do we have around the area? Um, because that would often be the mindset, like, this place ain't for me, you know? And so while I was working there, a lot of guys would just sit out in the car and let their let their girlfriends come in. But I had this passion and this motivation. I'm going up outside knocking on the window like, hey, you know you can come in here, right? And so, you know, we had to work on a plan to kind of shift the uh, paradigm so that we can seem more inclusive to fathers. And as I did that, that was my recruiting base um, for the dads that was coming in. And now that word got out, it's like, oh, it's WIC, but there's this fatherhood program there. Mm -hmm. So fathers were getting um, additional services because they they couldn't necessarily get it from a WIC perspective. So it was kind of crazy because we had to get separate funding uh, specifically for the fatherhood program. Um, kind of like my whole time we was there. But to your point, it could be the mindset that, you know, I'm not welcome here. But as a dad that was just highly motivated in the beginning, I wasn't really paying attention to all of that. I'm I'm the father. You're going you're gonna to address me. And, you know, another small thing we had to work on, too, is like when they come out and call, the family back, they generally call the mom's name 
Mm. Um, and I think it happened while I was there. So I had to kind of work with them on like, let's just call the last name. Right. Or when when a ticket come back, you need to make a note that it's only dad here today. You know, if mom's there, okay, you can call mom. But a lot of times, you know, it was coming out and calling Kelly mm-hmm. when Carl was in the lobby. Mm-hmm. So those small little shifts and, um, you know, the kind of the environment is what helped the program become successful down the line. Right. And, you know, and that's one of those things where it comes to, like, mindfulness in social service programs that we need to start elevating, which is just be mindful of what you're doing and what you're saying and being literal in your, in the terminology that you're using and knowing that that could be either negative or positive, depending on who you are and what you're doing. And that's important, you know, for all family members, but more specifically important for dads because we are really, we pay close attention to words. So whenever someone says something, we lean on that. So you reminded me a little bit and just kind of inspired me to kind of think about how I deal with this when you talk about the dads being outside in the cars because behind my office, there's an OBGYN um, office behind me. A sister owns it right behind me. And oftentimes, sometimes I'm in the office, I'll hear music kind of bumping, you know, back that way towards that window. I'm like, what's that music back there? Because that's not the community we're in where music is kind of like bumping. And I look out the window and it's almost always a guy sitting in the car listening to his music. And I've been wanting to go in there and say, hey, like, why are the guys sitting outside in the cars when they're coming in for an OBGYN? whatever service right this is a teaching opportunity this is bring him in it's also a bonding opportunity um to bring him in and don't leave him in the parking lot so i got to kind of think about maybe going over there and maybe just saying let's partner together and like when they come in if you really don't have anything to do with them let's set up something where you can refer them to fathers incorporated we'll set something up here when they can come over here and we could talk to them about early childhood development breastfeeding paternity maternity care we could talk about all of those kinds of things and work in tandem so you just kind of inspire because it happens all the time and 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 think about this too for any dad listening to this um especially first time parents or if it's the mother's first time or second time for that matter we know there's this term called postpartum depression right Mm -hmm. and so if your girlfriend, your wife, your partner is is going in, you know, it's two, three months within the baby being born. Um, sometimes she might not be all the way like at her full mental capacity. And so as a dad, although, you know, I feel like we affect it when we have kids too, especially a uh, gain of weight. I know <laughs> I gain weight with both of my kids, but um, I'm coming into that appointment because it might be a few, some things might go over her head. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, on a follow-up appointment, they might be asking, like, how many times is he, you know, urinating, you know, pooping or whatever. All those questions, those checkup questions where mom might, she knows it, but it just ain't hitting her at the moment. Mm-hmm. Here come dad, you know, I'm here to step up to the plate. Like, I know these answers. I know this. And I used to get real mad when, um, 
the nurses or the doctors would only look at my wife when they talking, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just keep asking her the questions and she would be tired. She'd be like, I don't know, ask, you know, he know. Right, 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 right. She would have to constantly do that. And so we came up with a plan where it's like, when we get in this situation again, just keep referring them to me and I'll knock those questions out of the park and we don't tag team together. So for any dads listening to this, like you gotta be conscious of that because you want to get them the right information so they can support the kid the best way they know how with their expertise. But ultimately, we the experts as the parents because we with our kids every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you also mm-hmm. had a similar, um, um, I'm not going to call it a morality shift, but it was a conscious shift in how you thought about who you were. And that was yep. the birth of your first child. Um, I had the same, I didn't have it, unfortunately, I didn't have that epiphany until my second child. But when, and that was as a result of what I termed for me a failure in being there like I should have been for my first child. But there was something about that second one that turned on a light for me that wasn't ignited when my first child was born. And that was, hey, this is serious stuff and you don't want to go where you were before. You don't want to feel ever again like you felt before and you don't want to impact another human being the way that you impacted your first child. You need to reset who you are and how you engage. And that moment of epiphany, um, Charmaine, really empowered. Now I can describe it as empowered me. Back then, I really didn't know what it was. But now when I look back on it, that was a moment of empowerment. For you, what was that moment like? And what did it do for you? What did it spark in you? And how were you able to keep that light lit? Um, <clears throat> man, you know, with, with my, with my uh, first firstborn son, once he got to the point where, uh, you know, when they, when they first come out, they, you know, look like little, little, little creatures, you know, but uh, once he started around months, a year, taking on the features, you know, looking exactly like me, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the lineage even looking like my dad a little bit and my mom, but more so like those, those strong male genes that we got, that's where the light kind of clicked to me. Like, I'm like, man, this is a spitting image of me. And for the rest of my life, I will be responsible for my kid. And that's what I tell a lot of the dads I work with. Like, once you're a father, you're a father forever. Ever. And especially for the ones that's like, you know, maybe they they don't have the closest relationship, you know, kind of like yours. Like even your, your dad, and you was, he was 23, like there was still an opportunity for you to, for him to be a dad. Mm-hmm. It was going to be a rough journey, but there was still an opportunity there. But for me, from the earliest moment, I knew that all the trauma that I went through was because my mom had five kids, four different dads, and my dad was the only one that was like closely there, like in the, in the same proximity. All the other dads lived somewhere else. But he missed my my dad missed out on all of those early years from zero to seven, those developmental years. And so for my son, after seeing the similarities in us 
and the spinning image, I also wanted to make sure that I was developing him the right way the entire time. You know, he's nine now and just watch him grow. It's just amazing. But in that early moment, what clicked for me, it was like, I'm responsible for this kid for the rest of my life. And I always summarize the word responsibility to the dads I work with is plain and simple, the ability to respond. Mm -hmm. If I'm in prison, I can't respond. If I'm in the streets all the time, I can't respond to my kids' needs. If I'm not aware of what's happening, I can't respond. If um, I'm not trying to establish a relationship with the mother, I can't respond for those that's not like with the mom because um, that's what I work with a lot. But fortunate for me, I, I'm, I'm married. So I'm able to respond to everything from school to homework to all of that. So I just took it on as a huge responsibility as a man and as a father to take his life to the next level and give him everything that I didn't have. Mm -hmm. And so now you get hired by WIC and they offer you this volunteer opportunity. And I'm sure your mom was just like, man, I get to do this, I get to do that. Like, what did you do first? Like, what was it like you said, okay, I need to do this before I do anything else. And then after you figured out what you was gonna do first, at what point did you kind of figure out what you wanted your outcomes to be? Um, so the first thing I did was like, I just posted it online, told everybody like I'm making this change in my life, told my wife, uh, and that was just the volunteer part. But as I started to like show public change, everybody was like, man, you know, this Charmaine, a guy that used to sell drugs and do in gangs and use guns and stuff like that. They was like, this this gotta be some miracle. Some of them thought I was pretending and fake. But um, the first thing I did was just tell everybody, because now that I'm telling everybody, it puts a greater responsibi responsibility on me. And so um, that was just the volunteer part. Once I got the job, uh, I just I just knew it was for me to be an example. And so one of the first things I thought was like, man, I'm becoming a leader now. Mm -hmm. And let me backtrack first. I was working in restaurants and manufacturing. And so my mindset was like, I can get out of that. Mm -hmm. I can I can I can do something where I use my mind. And as you know, as a as a knowledge worker, uh, you know, expert on a lot of things, I was um, mistaken because when you exhort a lot of energy mentally, that mm -hmm. stuff wear you out more. <laughs> More than it do physically sometimes. Cool. I'll be having to take a nap. But uh, I just realized that I was a, a, a leader now. And so I knew that I would be setting the example. And so the first thing I did was just started educating myself and just really going deep into the education, getting all of these trainings, whether it be, you know, from the um, National Fatherhood Initiative or um, Mark Perlman with the Nurturing Fathers. Uh, guy out in California, Rodriguez, I forget his first name, all of these different trainings, I was just consuming all of this knowledge so that I can go and give everybody that I was serving uh, my best foot forward and giving them the knowledge that they needed. Mm. So somewhere in there, um, and let me know where in this journey, you kind of also began to realize that, to your point just now about getting the training, 
that it was also important for you to get your education? Like, what mm. was that about and why was that important for you? Yeah, so um, at the around the same time that uh, the district attorney reached out and helped me modify my sentence to be released four years early, uh, he, he asked me, he said, have you ever thought about going back to school? And at the time, I'm like, not really. Um, but, you know, if opportunity came, I'll, I'll, I'll go. So he looked at me dead in my eyes and said, I know people that if they heard your story, they'd be fully invested in helping you get your education. So I'm like, okay, you know, point me in the right direction. And so uh, the school is a private school and it's like, it costs a lot of money. So when I heard that there was a possibility for a scholarship, I'm like, I got to take full advantage of this. And so at first I started going for social work, but um, it conflicted with my schedule because you had to go during the day. But the business program was more um, at night. But I'm glad I went through the business program because it helped me kind of see the higher elements of a, of a nonprofit or any business. Mm -hmm. So as I started getting my education, it just clicked with me, like, especially business. Like, I, I was doing this type of work already just in a negative way. Mm -hmm. You know, I always joke, like, <laughs> my, my gift of gab or my ability to communicate. Uh, those are called the gift of gab in the streets, but in business, they call it persuasion techniques. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, sales. You know what I mean? And so I took my Location, education. location, location, right? <laughs> there you go. Marketing or, you know, um, <laughs> developing a marketing. I used to do the same thing in the streets. So as I started to see the, the language, that's all it was, was the language barrier. Mm. As I started to learn the language, I'm like, Oh, I'm using this to get the dads. So, um, really, the, the 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 power behind what I was doing was my business acumen and my marketing. And I'm going to uh, basketball courts. I'm going to the gym. I'm I'm not afraid to go in these locations, the barbershops, to put up my flyer and recruit and give my 30 second to one minute elevator speech and get in that hook and telling them why they should be in the program. Mm -hmm. So that educational piece was a huge component. And I call myself, I'm a student for life now. Like, I think my screen blurry, but I got thousands of books now that I just constantly consume so that I, I can get that information out to the desk. Because when they realize that you're an expert, but at the same time, you're not claiming that you're perfect. Right. That gives you credibility. Mm -hmm. And when I'll be in my groups and I'm talking about the struggle I'm having with my kids and with my wife, but at the same time, I'm continually moving and educating myself. It's like, y'all know where I came from. So we ain't gonna let no excuses fly for too long. Mm -hmm. Like I give you that first orientation session, like let it all out. Mm -hmm. But we ain't gonna have the same conversation three months from now, six months from now. And it's amazing what, um... Cause I do it all the time and people always say to me, Kenny, man, you, you're so hard. Like, why are you so hard? Right. And it's just like, nah, you don't understand. This is like, you can't like give dudes a way out. Like you can't yeah. give them wiggle room. Like that's not how we built. Like, they don't respect you unless you corner them. You know, that's yep. what accountability looks like. It's not being hard. It's just like, nah, dude, we not doing this. 
right? And this ain't got nothing to do with my education. This has to do with my experience and my wisdom wisdom, yep. and my expectations for you. I'm not going to allow you to wiggle out of something because you're lazy right now because it's going to yep. cost you, you know, in your future. It's going to cost other people when you make bad decisions, when you make dis- mistakes. You're going to impact more than you, and I can't allow you to do that. And so that's what this work is about. Yeah, then you get talk. Yeah, but then you get this pardon, right, which is, man, it's, you know, I know several brothers um, that have been pardoned and also brothers that have been exonerated, which is a whole nother conversation, right? Mm -hmm. What did that do to your life to get pardoned for the governor to say, I see something incredible in this individual and this needs to happen? Man, um, that was one of my goals I set for myself, like, when I started like really doing the work. But even while in prison, I set a goal for myself. I'm like, I'm gonna do so much that I know I'm gonna get released from parole early if the circumstances line up. So I was doing the work and I felt like this was like, that was my ultimate goal was to get that part in. Mm. And so I applied originally, but I applied too early and got denied. So I had to wait until the time frame was lined up apply like two months early mm. um, and then the process I had to wait about a year during that year I'm just like man if this happens if this happens and don't get me wrong I exceeded expectation and rose above systemic barriers and got all of those drove through barriers like I didn't go around I didn't go under I went through them mm-hmm. but when that day came, when I was got, getting that party, I was coaching my little league team, my third and fourth graders with my son, and that email came and it just said, you know, we 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 granted you the party, and you know, there's a process now. And man, I I just I just screamed from my belly, like from the deepest part of my soul. Mm. And my some of the parents of my kids was like, "What's wrong with this guy?" I'm like. <laughs> Go go get a drink. Take take a break. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I gotta take a break real quick. But what it did for me, man, it just lifted this this societal systemic stigma on me of like being a felon mm. that I just kind of carry with me, even though I was overcoming these barriers. It just lifted these metaphorical chains up off of me, mm. and what it also did even more than myself, I'm always not focused on myself, but it gave possibility and hope for other people that is kind of going through similar situations. And if they can see a guy like me that did all that stuff in the streets, got out, had my son, had a change mindset, and eventually got a pardon from the highest office of the state, I mean, yeah, highest office in the state, it was a miracle, man. And now, you know, let's say I wanted to run for office, I can. You know, um, I'm thinking about it. But uh, <laughs> those chains have been lifted. All of these barriers for professional licenses and all of that stuff, it's all been lifted. And now even when I share my story at these conferences, they're just amazed that I did all the work and then I was rewarded for it at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you leaned right into where I was going, which is, you know, now you're now you're sharing this journey with the world and you're speaking in front of audiences that it always amazes me when I see 
um, or a dad talk about their journey, or even I kind of talk about elements of my life, how amazed people are that we've done it. When in my mind, it's like, that really wasn't like a heroic thing I did. It was what I had to do in order to get to where I needed to be. And it's amazing that stories like that are not normalized, where they believe that any dad can do that. Any mom can overcome obstacles and become better, that we are not a product of our circumstance, like we're a product of our expectations. And so when you're out there speaking now, what's your messaging? What are you trying to get people to understand? What are you trying to get them to hear? So, um, you know, my, my usual audience is, uh, you know, fatherhood conferences or uh, rather child support enforcement conferences. And so, you know, I'm an author of the book, uh, Working with Dads, Seven Practical Steps to Engage in Fathers and Family Services. And so one of my main messages is, you know, um, when I'm going to speak, as you probably know these numbers, I believe it's 81% of social service workers are, are women, mm-hmm. which is great. You know, we, we need our women um, to in, in the work, but it's a little a, a unique approach when it comes to fathers. So this message of fatherhood is not just for the guys that I'm working with. Sometimes it can be for the women that I'm working with. Um, and helping them understand their implicit bias. Maybe maybe you went through a divorce and it wasn't the greatest. And so, you know, you've got to make sure you try to separate your personal from your professional. Maybe your dad wasn't the best example of a father. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a a lot of girls are abused. We know this to be true. Um, Maybe there's some element there and not diminishing that or, um, you know, excusing that, but just recognizing that in your approach to engaging in fathers, as you said, we kind of pick up on everything. We we can recognize the implicit bias in the words. We can look at the environment. We can feel that energy. And so the message is like, if you're going to be claiming that you're helping these families, like you say you are, you have to be helping these fathers as well and realizing that a lot of times there's not as much support for them as it is with the mothers. You know, I, I often I get calls about rental assistance and I try to send a father to a, like a resource and they're like, oh, you got to have small children in the home mm. to get this rental assistance. So not only recognize those personal barriers, but recognizing the kind of structural or systemic barriers within the social services that you often overlook. And sometimes we'll be like, well, you shouldn't have had kids or you should have knew that before. Like, come on. Some of them had, they, they, it was 19, 18. Who, who knew what their life would be at 25, at 19, or what their life would be at 30, at 19? Mm-hmm. But now we're trying to help these families, so we need to be inclusive to the entire family nucleus, which includes the fathers. Right. Say that again, kid. The <laughs> fathers are part of the family. It's, let's stop all this separating. You know, majority of these organizations should be family organizations rather than these segmented kind of siloed organizations that has any exclusionary piece to it. Well, you can't do this work, and it's something that I'm actually learning and having some awareness, having some awakenings about now, even doing the fatherhood work. 
that there's a there comes a point in your process of working with a father that you can't help them anymore without helping the mom too, right? Or helping the child too. You just you you gotta have the bridge to be able to extend so that you can start connecting your dots because you can give some fathers all of the qualifications and all of the knowledge and curriculums and trainings and advice and support. You can, but if she's the roadblock, you know, for that getting through, then what are you really doing? And so you got to have something in place to like be able to cultivate her as well because the misconception is that someone is teaching them and they're not right and so they're being herded just like we are right they're not educated about early childhood development they're not being educated about communications they're not being educated about relationship they're not being educated about finances they're not being educated they're being herded just as much as we're being herded they have more help because they're being herded, right? Because people want them in a particular situation. We don't have to go back to that historical knowledge, right? Which is why the welfare system was built, why child support was built, all of those things. It was to help, but it has moved from being help into being into being captured. Captured is probably a strong word, but being um, being guided for a particular way, for a particular societal reason. And we got particularly black men and women got to begin yes. to start talking more with each other than separate from each other and oftentimes against each other because we're always trying to uh, one up on our pain, right? I'm in more pain than you are. No, I'm in more pain than you are. I'm discriminated more than you are. I'm discriminated more than you are. No, no, no. We all in the same freaking boat together. We need to figure this thing out. When you're working with your dads now, like what do you see as some of the most difficult things for them to either get over or get through? Um, Just like to your point of what you were just saying, you know, this may be a bold statement, but I don't think, I'll say it like this, family courts are not there to like help you mend the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, they're there to exact order or, and, and, you know, it's, 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 it's a, a you versus them type of mentality. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, along with those barriers, you know, you talk about a, a young guy that's, or young, a young girl and guy, they don't really understand the, the core language initially. They only learn by going through it. And so one of the biggest barriers that I'm, when I'm talking to them is like helping them understand that dynamic. And if I could, I'd tell them like, if there's even a glimmer of hope that y'all can like work this out. And, and I, I, I prefer not to send you to any legal support and all of that. Like, let's us, us three talk together you know, I'll get, I'll find a woman so it don't seem like we biased and we all can kind of figure this out together. Mm-hmm. But um, that big barrier, man, is the courts, obviously, and then um, the the financial piece mm-hmm. where when you're dealing with a guy like myself who's already labeled a felon, so he's having a rough time getting a job because of those barriers. And now after he gets out, you get you get 60 days to make your first payment to child support when you get out. Right. I'm like, dang, can, can, can we get another 30 days on that? Right. You know, that's a short time frame. That's 
another one of the barriers that I'm uh, I'm helping guys overcome. Mm-hmm. But I often say, if you really think about it, like sometimes the family court could lead to criminal court. Mm-hmm. When you think about like a guy that he missed the payment and now he has to go do that six month time in jail. And let's say he had to do that three times out of the kid's life period before he's 10. And now look, think about the kid going through school without the, the dad and mom kind of dynamic. Now this is where the so-called school to prison pipeline gets stronger because that element of discipline, even if he's not like, like a strict disciplinarian, we know that kids just like really want to um, please their dads in a sense. And so even just like a, a sense of disappointment, like son, you're not you're not on top of your game. Even a, a strange father, like when he gets back and start having those conversations with his kid, it adds a different element. And you know we can go more and more about that. But um, my point is, the biggest barriers they face is those financial pieces, and then that that family court, and then between mom and dad, that that relationship piece, that co-parenting. A lot of us never knew what healthy parenting was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, as I wrap up, uh, think about it. We got a, a fatherless young girl gets with a fatherless young boy. They get together. They don't really have a model. And so they go about creating what they think is the model of fatherhood. And they base it on a lot of external factors, whether the culture of you know, TV shows or entertainment, and they think that that's how they're supposed to do it. And then they end up going down on a slippery slope. And the person that suffers the most is the children. Mm-hmm. And so that's the mindset I try to give to the fathers. Like, look, whatever sacrifices you got to make for your kids, you got to do it. You got to do it. Especially in that early child developmental stage from zero to five, zero to seven. Yeah. Man, Charmaine, thank you so much for all you do. I am honored to be in this field of work with you and brothers and other brothers and sisters like you um, that have taken up this cause to kind of really, um, as I like to say, strengthen families one father at a time. You know, is that's how the work has to be done. You got a book and you're speaking. Tell people how to get the book and how to get in touch with you um, to book you for speaking. Awesome. Uh, so CharmaineHarris.com, S-H-A-R-M-A-I-N, Harris.com. Go to my website, you'll find all my links to my Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, same thing, Charmaine Harris with a S, S-H-A-R-M-A-I-N, Harris.com. Thank you so much, bro. And thank you all of you for listening to I Am Dad podcast. My guest today, uh, Mr. Charmaine Harris. Um, and you've heard his story. You'll hear more from him. I'm going to pull you into our network, bro. I'm going to get you. You're going to be in the circuit, man. We're going to do this work together. I'm always looking for new voices um, and new energy, you know, because oftentimes we can get settled in a lot of old voices and old. And I, and I consider myself what I try to be extremely innovative and in front of myself. But I still know that it's critically important to have new voices. Um, in this space to speak about this work because the work is uh, ongoing, as they say. So thank you, man, for spending time with I Am Dad podcast, and um, we'll see you on the on the field of battle. Um, let's continue yeah. to do this work together, locked arm and arm. 
all of you, thank you for listening. Uh, make sure that you go to our website at IamDadPodcast.com to see all of our previous shows, um, as well as our Facebook page, which is I Am Dad Podcast. And if you follow Fathers Incorporated and you go to our websites and web pages, you'll connect with any and all other things that we do. Until next Sunday, God bless. Have a great week. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad Podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time, I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, period.